Now, back to the Pete McMurray Show. Here's Pete and Lisa. Miles Taylor is a former government official who served under the Bush and Trump administrations. He wrote the New York Times op-ed in 2018 under the pen name Anonymous that was entitled, I am part of the renaissance inside the Trump administration. He is now the host of the podcast, The Whistleblowers. Let's say hello to Miles Taylor. How are you, Miles? Hey, I'm good, and it's great to be with you. How bad were things in 2018 that you had to go to the New York Times and said, guys, this isn't good. We need to talk. Yeah, I mean, if you thought it looked bad on the outside, it wasn't nearly as bad as it looked. It was 10 times worse. And and that's really because of the things that the president wanted to do at the time that we managed to put back in the box And, you know, look, that was things at the time, like wanting to, you know, pull out of the NATO alliance, which we know now would have been a terrible idea, you know, shooting people at the border to send a message to migrants to not come into the United States, using wiretapping powers against civilians. I mean, there was one point at which White House Chief of Staff John Kelly told me that the president wanted to wiretap all of the White House staff to find out who was saying bad things about him. Well, I mean, if you're an angry boss, that may sound like an interesting thing to do. But in the United States, that's illegal. You really loves the idea of just being an authoritarian because all of these things you've just described, it's like, okay, he doesn't want to be a president. He wants to be like an emperor with no rules where you can just change whatever law you wake up that morning, you decide you can do what you want. There's no question that the president was authoritarian curious, but I want to give you specific <laughs> you know, examples of that, which is, look, he spoke a lot about his affinity for uh, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, Chinese mm-hmm. President Xi Jinping, and especially, as we all know, North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un. Uh, and Trump didn't mask his reason for admiring these foreign despots. I mean, he was very clear of his envy that they had unlimited power mm-hmm. and he didn't. I mean, there was a point at which he was talking about what he wanted the U.S. border to look like. And I talk about this in the book Blowback. You know, he was furious that migrants were able to come into the United States. And, and just to be clear with everyone, it's U.S. law that if someone's fleeing persecution and violence, they have a right to claim asylum and have that considered by the courts. The president said, no, I don't want to let anyone else in and do it like my friend Kim does in North Korea. I want it to be like the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. And he made clear he wanted landmines and tanks and barbed wire at the U.S. border. So those people with a legal right to asylum would show up and turn back out of fear. I mean, that's the type of thing that would go through this guy's mind on a daily basis. But he looked at those authoritarians and he wanted their power. That's a red flag for me. But tell me the um, the contrast between working under the Bush administration and working under the Trump administration. Well, let me just paint a picture. Let me paint two different pictures of just one specific place. And that's the Oval Office in the White House. In the Bush administration, the Oval Office was a very, very tightly controlled place. It was quiet. It was a place of solemn contemplation. It was very hard to access. You know, you didn't walk into a meeting with President Bush unless you were supposed to be in a meeting with President Bush. And if you did that, you were fired. In the Trump administration, I describe it as a crowded New York bagel shop where there's people shouting over each other and the guy behind the register, the president is shouting orders back and forth. People are coming in and out. 
Oftentimes it's not clean. Uh, I mean, it was a, it was it was a place of chaos. And look, that may work if you're running a small business. It may be fun at a startup. But when you're the leader of the free world, when you're the commander in chief of the U.S. armed forces, you can't have that center of power be chaotic and have decisions of life and death be made on the fly. Uh, but that's how it was. And it was just categorically different than my experience in the Bush administration and, and deeply alarming. I mean, you know, look, I, I don't question people for judging my initial decision to sound the alarm anonymously. But ultimately, I pulled the mask off because I needed to describe these episodes in detail for people to understand how bad it was. So many people don't want to believe it if it's from an anonymous source. And I think they don't give enough credit to the fact that, hey, you're giving up possibly your livelihood. And in this age of Internet doxing, people who disagree with you might come attack you and your family. So there's a huge reason to stay anonymous. Do you feel that taking the mask off and unveiling who you were and putting your name out there changed any hearts and minds? Well, you know, I always tend to go to the data. I'm a data guy. And if you look in 2020, the only reason Joe Biden won the presidency or one of the few reasons is in several key swing states, we saw tens of thousands of Republicans in 2016 who had voted for Trump change their votes and vote for Biden. And that margin was just enough for Biden to win those swing states. So if those Republicans had just stayed with the tribe and voted for Trump a second time, it's very, very likely President Biden would have lost. I think that a lot of those Republicans, for the first time in their lives, were willing to flip sides and vote for a Democrat because they saw other Republicans coming out of the Trump administration and saying, look, it's bad, guys. Yes, we're conservatives. No, we usually don't ally with the Democrats, but we got to put country over party. And I think and I'm hopeful that that message worked then and will work in another go around because, you know, look, I've got a lot of left leaning friends and I disagree with them on just about every single policy issue. But the one I don't disagree with them on is that the fabric of our republic uh, is getting pretty threadbare. And we've got to prioritize that over any okay. policy differences we might have. Agreed. Why do you think the GOP did not cut ties with Trump after January 6th? Because to me, someone not in D.C., I saw that as, oh, you guys, this is your out. You've been tied to this guy. You feel like you had to because he's so electable and he carries, you know, the everyone with you. But this is a step too far. And I, I just couldn't understand how no one stood up. And now Pence is saying what he did was wrong. And now Chris Christie is saying what he's wrong. Mitch McConnell did that kind of backwards flip during <laughs> the the impeachment saying, well, it was wrong, but, you know, we're not going to kick him out. Why do you think that happened? Why couldn't they just let him go? Well, I mean, at a minimum, what they're doing is teaching us all a really valuable lesson in how to win the game of Twister. Uh, you know, these, these politicians <laughs> have just contorted themselves into these really awkward positions to somehow justify supporting a twice impeached, twice indicted, disgraced ex-president. And, and yet they still stand by him. It, it's been extremely confounding to me. I'll be honest, it's probably the biggest disappointment of my entire you know career in washington is watching people i used to look up to cower in the face of donald trump and i'll, I'll give you an answer to why i think it happens um, but i'm going to cite someone else so in the book blowback i talk about this exchange that adam kinzinger and i had 
we were down in South Carolina together for a weekend uh, with a group of folks. And we had this conversation that, you know, you and I and the rest of us have at dinner parties and barbecues all the time, which is, yeah, why is this? Why are they still cowering? And Adam gave me a really good answer. He said, look, it's not what you think, Miles, because I said to him, I think it's the death threats. I think they see people like us, Adam, and they don't want to end up like us. We're a cautionary tale. We spoke out. And, you know, in our case, I lost my home, my job, my marriage, my personal security and my life savings by coming forward. No one has to play the violin for me. I went into it clear eyed. And Adam said, that stuff's all bad, but there's something they're more scared of than their families being threatened. And I said, what could they possibly be more scared of? And he said, they're more scared of being kicked out of the tribe. They are so wedded to the tribe. God, it's terrible. That's really, you know, it made me think of you guys. It made me think of that old Jerry Seinfeld quote where he said, you know, Americans number one fear is public speaking. Their number two fear is death. So they would rather (laughs) be in the coffin than delivering the eulogy. That's today's Republican Party. Let me let me uh, remind people we're talking to Miles Taylor. The name of his book is called Blowback, his podcast, The Whistleblowers. And Lisa, I can answer that question because I think the American public likes a bully. They like a bully. And that's how Trump came off when he ran for president. Make America great again. Well, what exactly does that mean? People don't care what it means. They don't do their due diligence. I think we've all come across the red tape of bureaucracy at some point in our adult lives. And we agree. We've been through some processes that are insane. And we say, yeah, I don't want the government involved in X, Y or Z. And when Trump screams about it, you go, yeah, okay, he's going to get rid of it. But in the meantime, he gets in there and is doing wackadoodle things that have nothing to do with anything you wanted him to do. Lisa, that's how I know you're a good Midwesterner like me is you use wackadoodle. But I I will say I mean, one of the the ironies here is and this is why uh, early on I grew so frustrated with the administration's policies is I'm a small government conservative. But Donald Trump wanted a government so big that was yeah. that it was inside of our heads every single day. And now he's on yeah. the campaign trail talking about how he wants to exert unfettered executive power. That's not small government. That's government that's almost dictatorial in nature. When you have that kind of government, if you support Trump and you're listening to this, any power that he distills into the office of the president will carry over into the next president, whether you agree with the next president or not, which is why you do not want a presidency to have unfettered power because you you don't know who's going to be in there next time. And you might not want them to wake up and say, "Okay, I'm going to do whatever. Yeah, it's the proverbial double edged sword. And, and, And I would say to Republicans who are listening right now, look, I want my former party to go back to what it was. I want to see a great Republican win. I want to go back to, you know, going on shows and fighting with liberals about taxes and the role of government in society. But there's a bigger threat here, which is we have an observably crazy man leading our party who wants the presidency again. Unstable man. No question. And if you thought the first term of Donald Trump was unstable, you ain't seen nothing yet. You look at Donald Trump, especially when he was president of the United States. You're thinking, oh, my God, what's this Sharpie mark on a hurricane map because he couldn't say he was wrong. What 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 is he going to tweet out that is going to change everything today? It was every single day. I I can't. I'm getting worked up. Miles, here's the question for you before you go. (laughs) The more that the government pushes at President Trump and the more that the prosecutors are saying, "Okay, we got a grand jury now, the more people follow him. Why is that? You know, honestly, at the end of the day, it's a phenomenon that goes way beyond politics that we are all aware of. 
And it's the fear of cancellation. It's that it goes back to what uh, Adam Kinzinger said about getting kicked out of the tribe. People are increasingly scared of differentiating from the tribe and being left in the wilderness. It's why you see folks who maybe have an opinion against Trump at a dinner party who just don't speak up because they're worried about pissing off the MAGA guy at the table. I think it's that. And the only way we can lower that price of dissent in this country is just to get over that first hump. Say your true opinion. Stick by it. It lowers the price of dissent for the rest of us, makes it easier for people to step forward and say the truth. I was just thinking if he was at a dinner party, we would blow back at him right away. But that's interesting <laughs> that you use that uh, analogy because it, that's exactly what I was thinking. Miles Taylor. Means, we'll have to invite him out for dinner for sometime. <laughs> the name of the book is Blowback. Check out his podcast, The Whistleblowers. Miles, thanks for your time. Thanks, friends. More of The Pete McMurray Show next. <laughs> 